Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash art of man and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash art of man, A-R-T-O-F-M-A-N, podsurvey.com slash art of man. Thanks for your help. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So since 9-11 and before, American warriors have faced combat in difficult and adverse theaters with dedication, courage, remarkable inner fortitude, and our nation supports them during their time in the fight. And we say thank you for your service. Uh, It's become sort of a common civilian affirmation. But what happens to these men and women when they return from the battlefield? What's waiting for them at home? How do we assimilate these individuals who have seen some of the worst things in the world, who have faced exciting, you know, know, being faced with life and death, who've had this intense camaraderie with their fellow soldiers, and they come back and they don't have that anymore? How do we assimilate them into society? Well, our guest today is a Marine combat veteran. His name's David Danello, and he wrote a book called The Return, a field manual for life after combat. It's specifically geared towards soldiers who are returning from combat back into civilian life and how to make that adjustment, whether they're suffering from PTSD or not, um, because there's a lot of guys who they experience a letdown when they come back from combat to just regular life and they get sort of in a funk. It's geared towards them, but it's also a great book for civilians to read. If you want to know how to help and reach out to your friends, your family, who are combat veterans and what you can say to them besides saying thank you for your service, this book is for you. And it's also a great book for civilians, even if you haven't seen combat, because uh, the principles in it are applicable to anyone who's making a transition in their life and they're feeling sort of confused and and sort of down the dumps about it. Anyways, David and I discuss the return and what we can do to help our combat veterans and what combat veterans can do to help themselves to make that adjustment back to civilian life. All right, David Danello, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, It's good to be here, Brett. All right, so your book is called The Return, a field manual for life after combat. What's the backstory of this book? Why do you feel like you needed to write a book for soldiers returning from combat? Well, it's interesting that we decided to make the subtitle a field manual uh, because it's actually in many ways the opposite of a field manual. And uh, it it was a little bit of a play on it uh, uh, just to say, you know, that there isn't really a guide or a how-to. And returning is something we all experience individually. 
like many writers, and I, I think that the, the the true backstory of most books has something to do with this. I, I wrote it for myself, really, to try to make sense of my own experience and uh, sort of as a compass of sorts. There's there's times where I've looked back on it and, and feel like I'm you know a drunk trying to give sobriety advice um, because I read it and it it. I need it. it. It means a lot to me to to try to use it as a compass of sorts to put my own experience in context because it's not like I have this figured out. Um, I I know what has been useful for me and what I've gained utility from, and my intention was to share that and to hopefully help others along the way. All right, so you are a, a combat veteran, correct? I am. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And uh, when you were making your transition from soldier back to civilian life. Um, you brought up in the book that you began to question conventional wisdom of making that return, right? There's a lot of advice out there what we should do with our soldiers when they're they're coming home. You know, they need this, they need that, and there's you know this idea. You even question the idea of you know if PTSD is actually a thing. That's you know in the news a lot, mm-hmm. or if therapy is helpful or counseling is helpful for returning soldiers. I mean, what was it that caused you to raise those questions? Was it just your your experience was incongruous with what was going on? I mean, what was going on there? Well, I think I think first and foremost, I, it kind of is the the lawyer disclaimer up front. Sure, uh, I need to I need to acknowledge and definitely validate that there are many many veterans who 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 return from combat. Um, with very, very significant and very powerful emotional and psychological trauma that can only be dealt with professionally or medically. Uh, and, and I'm thinking specifically and particularly of traumatic brain injury. Uh, TBI is, is really powerful, and yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty difficult to deal with that uh, outside of you know, the, 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 the power of 21st century modern medicine. And I think, that, I think it's important to state that up front. That being said, I returned from combat with some shrapnel in my jaw and with the experience of a seven-month deployment in Iraq, but not with, you know, not not with traumatic brain injury certainly, um, and consequently, the there was some emotional conditions that I felt and, and continue to feel. Um, about having been in a combat environment and then actually continuing to return to combat environments as, as a writer and researcher uh, or unstable environments at, at, at the very least. And I couldn't reconcile my own experience with a lot of what people were saying because the social stereotype of post-traumatic stress disorder is basically that veterans come back all screwed up and that everybody universally, you know, we're going to thank you for your service while you're in. And then once you come back, we're really scared to hire you, even though we know we should, because we know that we've got to find a way to transition you. Um, but, but we're, we're concerned about your, your psychological condition. Um, and there's, there's more about that, too, in terms of how previous generations in, the U- in U.S. history came back from combat. In World War II, there was a different type of combat transition that the entire generation experienced. And the rates of PTSD declarations are really, really high right now relative to, to even the past hundred years of data collection. Um, so it seemed to me that, that in part, a lot of veterans were saying that the emotional condition that they were having was post-traumatic stress disorder – but maybe it was something else. And so I tried to come up with a way to describe that. Describe and, uh, okay. Gotcha. And what you, you mentioned, you know, World War II soldiers, like, had a process that was different. What was different? 
Well, there were a couple of things that were different in World War II. Uh, you know, the old uh, the nineteen forty six movie, "The Best Years of Our Lives," yeah. about the returning veterans. You know, was was an Oscar Oscar winner at the time, um, and and it's a powerful film. And I think that that characterizes a, a certain sense of exile that uh, you know that, that that those three men felt uh, returning from combat. Um, but but then. Uh, you know, the whole society was returning from combat. There was a universality to like, whew, we're glad we're done with this and it's time to move on to the good times. Uh, that's not possible in today's, uh, in today's military environment. And, and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, you know, people can debate. That's kind of a separate debate about whether, you know, everybody should go to war together, or the whole society should be involved. Um, I think that the reality, though, is that soldiers and warriors, uh, I, I tend to use the term warrior rather than soldier just because it's more, it's, it's, it's more universally encompassing mm-hmm. um, to, to other people, you know, anyone who identifies as, as a Marine or a sailor or an airman who's been in a combat environment. Um, but, but any warrior who's returning to civilian life um, is coming back to a, to a culture with, with completely different value sets even in a positive way, the positive values are very different than the warrior culture. All right. We'll get into those, those differences, that dichotomy. And you mentioned that um, a little while ago, the, this word exile. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of that was a reference to Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. Yes, right? yes. Um, and you, you call the warrior's return to civilian life exile. Um, how is it exile when they're, you know, you're going home to friends, to family, the, you know, the people you love, but it still feel it's still exile. Why is that? Well, the reason why I reference you know, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey is he, he I, and I think that the, the mythological aspect of Campbell, uh, who wrote a lot of what he wrote, uh, from, from Carl Jung's archetypes as well in, uh, and then was pulled into this, you know, George Lucas studied Joseph Campbell before Star Wars. And it's kind of become part of the way that we understand our mythologies and our, our stories of our own lives is you kind of have this calling initially where you go off somewhere and then you have this adventure that changes you and then you come back from it. And then Campbell called the last stage of that hero's journey and he, he depicted it in I think six or seven steps as the return. And the first step of the return of any hero, you know, and thinking of, of uh, Luke Skywalker kind of standing around the campfire uh, at the end of Return of the Jedi after he's slain his father. And it's kind of like, okay, well, what do I do now? Where, where do I fit in with I, one's identity as a warrior is very, very, very clear. Uh, we are thanked for our service and we are asked to defend society and go wherever it is that we're sent. But then trying to capture that and pull that back into identity as a civilian, even with friends and family along, Unless you have a clear vision of what gives you meaning and purpose as a civilian, uh, it's, it's a difficult thing to do. And then ex- the exile experience is that war creates such a powerful sense of meaning and purpose that when you're there, you, you know exactly what to do and how you belong. Uh, and that sense of meaning and belonging is very difficult to transfer in a civilian context. Yeah, and is that what makes it so difficult for soldiers to explain to friends and family? Because like, I think a lot of civilian friends and family, they, they might get frustrated. Right? It's like, why aren't you happy? You know, you're back here with us. It's safe. Um, and I guess a lot of soldiers would say, well, they just they miss being with their buddies. They miss being that, that – there's that excitement, that sense of urgency. Is that what makes transitioning so hard? 
I think there's, there's, there's a, a, there's a, there's everything is different for every person for what it is that they're transitioning to or from in the one thing. And so there's some universal themes. Um, but again, kind of the lawyer's caveat, I, I don't want to, I don't want to try to make the blanket statement for every sure. single veteran coming home. I think that it's, it's difficult for civilians always to understand, okay, yeah, you know, you're safe, you're coming back home to friends and family. But, uh, you know, when, when you have, have your sense of identity invested in not just your brothers, your comrades, your, your fellow, fellow warriors, um, but your own, the, the, the personal power that's drawn from being successful in a combat environment is a professional euphoria that can't be captured, you know, coming back and forth from the office. It's, uh, it's just, it's a very difficult thing to capture professionally, absent a sense of professional ambition. You know, for men, is self-esteem, and you know this. You know, uh, from from your own work on on your blog and and your your deep study of manhood, much of our self-esteem as men revolves around our work, mm-hmm. and it revolves the identity that's associated with our work. Well, you know. Uh, getting paid to kill people and break things or to prevent others from killing people and breaking things has some limited value in civilian context. Yes, you can, you know, point to security guards or police officers or, you know, any sort of, uh, protective agency. Um, but maybe that's not what everybody wants to do for the rest of their life. Who's returning from war. And many people go to war. Many men in particular go to war seeking validation of their manhood and their own sense of masculinity. And returning from war and finding a useful application for that sense of masculinity derived from being successful in combat, that's what everybody's got to do differently, especially in the American masculine culture. Okay. So what does a warrior's exile look like? I know, granted, that everyone's going to be different, but you know, what are some like common... Like, is it just like, is it depression? Is it, is it just being in a funk? Is it just sort of existential, like angst? What, what is, I mean, how would you describe exile? And I, you know, Brett, I, I think that this is something where I, I do think that there are a lot of parallels and, to civilian life, because I think that whether you're a warrior or a civilian, uh, I think we all go through emotional conditions of not knowing exactly where to belong, where, you know, we come back and, it, when 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 you're in combat, you know, yeah, you want to get back home and you want to be safe and you want to be able to 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 see to see your family and, and the people, your friends, the people you care about the, that aren't there. Um, but then when you get there, everything that you were doing, you remember it and you remember the feelings that you had that were so powerful and the sense of meaning and purpose that you had that was so powerful, and you can't replicate that. So your world doesn't make sense. And I, I think that exile, as I describe it, is just that emotional condition of not knowing where to belong. Mm. That's really frustrating. Yeah. yeah. It's a frustrating feeling. So, I mean, what do you do to go about getting out of exile? I know you, you, you don't, the, the entire book's devoted to that, but just highlight some things that, that have worked for you and that you've seen work in other returning warriors' lives. You know, one of the things that that uh, that is ta- I almost said we talk about, but because I think I think you end up talking about this a, a lot in the in, in your work as well, 
is this this acceptance of duality and and there was a whole chapter you know in accepting duality and by duality i mean the sense that contradictory things can be reconciled in your mind uh the yin and the yang of of our lives um uh, and, and and a warrior has to be able to to find a way to capture whatever their own experience is in war. And, and, and I mentioned it in the book, but it's important for, for you know, civilians who, who meet combat veterans to understand that every warrior's experience is different. I mean, my, my experience as a combat veteran was pretty limited relative to a lot of the warriors returning um, today in the sense that I didn't do multiple deployments. Uh, many people coming back from combat uh, – especially from my era in the Marine Corps, four or five combat deployments is pretty common. Um, I know uh, the record I know of is 13. Um, I know, a, you know, a, a, a special forces um, veteran, 13 combat deployments. And, you know, when you're, when that's your life, I mean, that's kind of, that's, that's your day at the office, you know, that, that's, yeah. that, that, that becomes a more normal condition for you to understand the world than, um, you know, uh, driving along on, um, on the interstate back and forth to, uh, you know, back and forth to the office every day and, and, uh, you know, just putting in your time, uh, doing your emails or, or being part of the organization that you're part of. Um, that being said, so I, I, I call out warriors pretty, pretty strongly in the book as, you know, if, if you're, if you just want to be back to war, well, then go, you I mean, you can find the route back. There's plenty of there's plenty of work out there for warriors, and if that's what you want to do with your life, you can find a path to doing that. But if you want to be back with your fam, if you want to be back in a civilian environment, and find meaning in a civilian environment, um, the way to defeating exile is through accepting and finding that peace can be just as powerful as war, uh, only in a different way. Yeah. Well, since so talk about that, that duality, right? Trying to figure out how to have this idea of war coexist with the idea of peace. Mm-hmm. And uh, you had this whole chapter with these great, you know, redefine um, war and then, you know, sort of a counter, you know, counter definition of peace. And there's some sort of, you know, what you'd expect to see, like war is masculine and peace is feminine. But there's some things that you were like people, civil, particularly for civilians to be like, wow, that does, that's kind of a weird definition. Um, hmm. For example, war is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, for most civilians, they'd be like, "Well, no, war is ugly. I see it on the news. There's, you know, bodies everywhere. It's destruction. How is how is war beautiful? I mean, what is the experience for a warrior that makes it beautiful and noble and the like?" Well, I, I wanted to so a couple of things on that uh, that are interesting. The way that I started that chapter in, in a research um, process was I actually just kept looking up the definitions of war in other languages. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I tried to look it up in, in particularly in Western civilization languages that it, you know had influenced uh, the definition of war in, in English uh, derives from from Middle Middle German and um, and where these words come from. And so I stumbled upon uh, bellicose and bellum, mm-hmm. you know, as, as a, the Latin war. And, you know, and it means beautiful. The, the root of bellum is bellow. And so, you know, I mean, the Romans defined war in the same way that they just defined beauty. And I thought, wow, that, that's, that's interesting. So then I just tried to kind of go inside that and say, well, is that true? Is that, has, has that been true to my experience? And the answer is yes. 
the experience of being a combat veteran, it, it, and it's more than the the band of brothers thing. It's more than the um, the adrenaline rush, even of of, of surviving a, a firefight or you know a, a, a fierce a fierce engagement or or even a, a random mortar round that lands too close. Um, the sense, the sort of sense of self awareness that you have in in moving through fear on not just a daily basis, but a momentary basis, because the fear of death is a powerful thing in any human soul. And so moving beyond that fear of death and into this kind of psychological space of where, you know, you're you're beyond that and you're just living and working and very much in the moment. Um, You know, as as I wrote about it, it's, it's, it's kind of this new age experience where you know you, you don't have to read books telling you to stay in the moment because you're right there. Yeah. That's a beautiful place to be in emotionally and and psychologically. And getting to that place as a warrior um, kind of makes you want to stay there. And that's one of the reasons why um, warriors uh, often keep going back. Uh, many of many of the people I know who who have done four or five deployments uh, continue volunteering because. Uh, being at war is paradoxically a safe place uh, and being in a civilian life can be threatening. Now, the flip side of that is, um, I mean, peace is also beautiful and meaningful. And, and you know, anybody who's, who's stood in the desert and watched the sunset um, and just listened to the stillness of, of silence in the mountains uh, and seen the calm peace of nature uh, knows that nature can be very calming, but nature can also be very violent. I mean, you, you see tornadoes, uh, and there's, there's a certain beauty to a tornado as much as there is a fierceness and a threat. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a thoroughly modern design. The exterior has been reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Durability has been tested to the extreme, cargo capacity means more room for your gear, and there's been powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system that keeps you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering, and the Defender is ready for a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. That's LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. All right, so if you're like me, you've probably signed up for a whole bunch of stuff that has a recurring monthly fee. Subscriptions to newsletters, subscriptions to services that you use online, uh, could be a streaming service, something like that. You sign up for it and then you forget about it. And then every month you're getting charged and charged and charged and they just all add up and you have a hard time trying to figure out where did I sign up for this? I don't know where this is coming from. Well, let me tell you, there's an app that can help you with that. It's called Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. 
Stop wasting money in things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness. Rocketmoney.com slash manliness. If you're like my family, we're getting to the busy part of the year. Spring sports are happening, a lot of after-school activities. So sometimes planning and cooking dinner, just don't have time for that. That's where Factor Meals comes in. With Factor, you get fresh, never-frozen meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. With Factor, you get restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, no cleanup needed. It's also less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian-approved to be nutritious and delicious. So we've been using Factory Meals in the K household for a while now. There's a lot of reasons why we like them. First off, the food tastes great. Last week, I had creamy pesto pork chop with spinach, cauliflower, rice, roasted green beans. Tasted fantastic. But the big selling point, it's easy. There's no cooking. There's no cleaning up. It's great for those nights when you're busy and you don't have much time uh, to to take care of dinner and you don't want to do takeout because you feel gross after takeout. If you'd like to try Factory Meals, head to factorymeals.com slash manliness50 and use code MANLINESS50 to get 50% off. That's code MANLINESS50 at factormeals.com slash MANLINESS50 to get 50% off. Check it out today, and make sure to check out the Creamy Pesto Pork Chop. It's really good. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. Yeah. Uh, well, who was it that said, and it's, it's a good thing that war is so horrible or we learn to like it too much? Uh, Robert E. Lee. Robert E. Robert e. Lee. Yeah. yeah, Robert E. Lee's quote. It is well that war is so terrible lest we should go too, too fond of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's that, that's it's kind of interesting. Now, I guess, I mean, that's, is that important for civilians to know, like, the, the draw of war to warriors? I, I think so, in the sense that, and you know, there's you're a, you're a Hemingway reader, and um, you know what's interesting is uh, Papa never never killed a man except yeah. for himself. Yeah, um, he hunted, and and uh, but but the the but he understood some things that were true about the nature of, of war and the nature of combat from his own observation and experience, and uh, and he describes the beauty of it pretty well in his work. Uh, I I think that. I, I, I reference that as well because, you know, we, our, our culture kind of devours action movies and we watch a lot of, you know, there, there's, um, I, I've been intrigued um, by the response to uh, American Sniper as this kind of defining film of, of uh, the Iraq war. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't see it right when it came out. I ended up watching it on an airplane recently and I was kind of like, eh, well, I mean, it was, it was one guy's world. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't, for me, it wasn't like, oh wow. Yeah. That's, that's the way it was. Um, it was, 
an interesting point of discussion, but uh, I think that for, for civilians to be able to acknowledge that there is a beauty to war uh, might help, you know, get past those kind of uncomfortable questions that combat veterans encounter of, you know, well, did you kill anybody or did you, you know, I'm, what, what, when people ask uh, a combat veteran what it was like, um, they usually go in with a preconceived expectation. In other words, somebody goes into who hasn't been to war wants you to tell them a war story or some glory story. Um, and somebody who, who, or the inverse of, well, it was so horrible and it's awful and I'm, I'm so happy to be back. Um, and the truth is, is always much more complicated than that. Uh, war can often be very boring and also very terrifying and, and all those other things that I wrote about. Yeah. So, so I mean, what, what can civilians do to help a returning warrior, like help, help them along the exile process? Um, I mean, is there, is there anything they can really do or is it something that they have to, you know, the, 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 the warrior has to do themselves or only another comrade can understand and actually help them with? Oh, I think, and, and you know, you know, uh, from, from your read of the book that civilians and anybody who hasn't been to war makes it, makes a huge contribution to, to moving a warrior or returning soldier or a returning combat veteran back from, uh, a, a combat environment. Um, I think the most important thing is a capacity to dialogue in a way that, um, in a, in a way that a warrior can understand and relate to, um, the, there's this, there's become this, again, this cultural American cultural universality of thank you for your service. And it becomes, it's very much like almost the, you know, it, it's, it's almost like, you know, like the catechism before communion yeah, where people it's, know. It's, yeah. yeah. As soon as like you say someone's, I, I serve, thank you for your service. Like it happens like right away. And, and it's, it, it's like, it's, there's, it's become this almost Pavlovian trigger of yeah. what somebody says that you have to say to a veteran. And it actually, in my view, it obscures conversation because it's like, okay, well now, now you have performed your genuflecting ritual to me <laughs> and now I can't talk to you like a yeah. normal person. You're, you're, you're distancing yourself from me in some way because you know that that's the right thing to say. And, and, and it's almost become something that you have to then get past in conversation so that we can just be like, hey, look, I'm no better or worse than you. I just, this is, it's an all-volunteer military, and I volunteered for a number of reasons. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just as interested in your life as you are in mine, and I appreciate that you respect my choices, but, you know, I'd like to respect yours too. Um, and, and, and I think veterans who have a need for that adulation, for that, you know, kind of like, you know, keep glorifying me because I'm better than you. Um, because I, I'm more willing to take it on the chin because you want me on that wall and you need me on that wall. (laughs) Just watched that movie the other day. (laughs) Right. Right. I, I, I think that that becomes something where that is just as much of a barrier in conversation. So to me, the first thing that, that civilians can do to, to help returning warriors come back to a civilian life is, um, Respect, respect what it is that they've endured and gone through and chosen as a combat environment and seek to understand it in the same way that we try to understand anyone's life experience. Um, the, uh, to me, part of the importance is uh, understanding 
you know, beyond the politics of war. And, and you know, I, I've, I've had this experience a lot of times where, where basic geography just kind of obscures empathy. And, and it's, you know, it's not like I expect everybody to know where Fallujah is on a map, but I, I, I do maybe perhaps wrongly expect people to know that Fallujah is in the country of Iraq. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's just kind of in the same way as I think that, um, you know, it, it's important for, for any American who's trying to understand the black American experience right now to know where Ferguson is or Charleston is or Baltimore is and to understand what's going on in those communities um, because those are things that are happening in our country and that affect our civic life. Um, to me, that, that's part of, part of what affects our civic life as a society is that a decision to go to war you know, it's not. It wasn't my decision in the Marine Corps whether we were going to go to war or not. I'm, I'm just the guy executing. Yeah. Um, the decision rests collectively with all of us and is exercised, you know, through our representatives and through their votes. So know uh, something uh, about what's what, what's going on. Like educate yourself. I, I think it's I think it's useful. Or if you don't know, acknowledge what just like you do with anybody. I mean, when I meet. When I meet somebody who's from a profession that I've never had any experience with, you know, I, I don't know what it's like to own a restaurant or be an insurance agent or do, you know, neurological surgery or, or, or you know, run, a, run the art of manliness blog. <laughs> um, but I, I'm certainly interested in what, you, you know, the tools of your trade and what's a day in, day out life for you and, you know, what, what, what's, what's your kind of ongoing experience. And I think that that's kind of how that's. That's how we relate to things that we don't understand in a civilian context. And to me, it doesn't have to be any different in a warrior context. You know, when a, when a combat veteran, combat veterans are like all of us. They like talking about our work. Yeah. Uh, one of the great lines you, you wrote in your book that, that stood out to me talking about how oftentimes civilians don't really understand the experience and it's one of those what they it's sort of related to thank you for your service like when people find out that you had a, a purple heart it's like oh, right. wow you were you were super brave and you're right like, well you know I, I it's just part of the job you know and like telling me telling me yeah. that I'm brave for my purple heart was like you know telling Muhammad Ali is brave because he got punched in the face right right exactly yeah I, I that's definitely been one where um, you know th there's this sort of deification uh, of oh wow he got a he's got been awarded a purple heart and you know ooh it's and it's 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 like well hey you know I mean yeah I, I'm not I mean I'm certainly not ashamed of the fact that I was wounded in combat and yes it it plays a role in my life experience um, but hey I mean I don't think that that's a characterization of bravery um, it, it it's it's just not to me. Uh, I, I know, I, I know and have seen and am aware of many, many brave acts that have never been recorded in decorations or medals and, uh, bravery, uh, and, and courage is something I think that when we encounter it and observe it and experience it in somebody else, we know it. Uh, and I think that that's a much more powerful thing than, you know, anything that anybody wears on their chest. Sure. Um, so you call in your book uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. You call it post-traumatic stress asset. How how is post-traumatic stress disorder, whatever you want to call it, how is that an asset into a, in a in a warrior's life returning into civilian life? You know, I, I think that's a that's a terrific question, and that, that's actually that you know that whole last third of of the book is really just trying to explore this thing of okay, well if 
you know, if you're going through exile and you reconcile this duality, well, at some point, this condition that we're describing as post-traumatic stress, the reason why I'm really, really big on relabeling the term disorder is because disorder is a very difficult, I mean, think about the number of disorders that we have in our society now and how we treat them. You know, we've got attention deficit disorder, we've got, um, you know, conversation disorder. We've got, you know, every, we, we've, we've labeled everything a disorder. Um, and you know, let's talk about attention deficit disorder where, you know, when you, I'm sure you, you've read about this and pro- I don't know if you've written about it on the blog, but probably done some work on it that, uh, so many boys today are being labeled with attention deficit disorder for what's basically just normal behavior in boys. Yeah. Um, and it's like, oh, really, they fight in class. Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, homo sapiens have been going through this process for a good number of years now. <laughs> and it's part of, part of the development of, of male youth. Um, the idea of um, post-traumatic stress being something that's pretty normal. I mean, being something. So the idea that, okay, we're, we're, we're coming back from this environment where we had all this meaning and now we don't. Or we're we've experienced trauma in, in any civilian can understand what it's like to, to any, most adults, civilians could understand what it's like to, to go through a, a major car accident or lose a family member or have some, have some major trauma that you've gone through that you're trying to move through that you know is going to change you on the back end of it. Um, and what we tell ourselves in that is, okay, well, that which doesn't kill me makes me stronger. That's what, you know, th- that we find our meaning in this, that we find our purpose in this. And so for me, wanting to relabel post-traumatic stress, um, I'm not trying to redefine this as a psychological condition. And again, kind of the lawyer disclaimer, there are, you know, every case is different. And there are definitely cases where there is some utility and value in, in medication and in prescription for, for post-traumatic stress. Um, but you know, I, I tend to think of post-traumatic stress as, as a condition that you can leverage, uh, that, that, that feeling of, of my own combat experience. If I, if I label my combat experience for the rest of my life as a disorder, then I'm never going to be able to draw any positive value from it. And so for me, labeling post-traumatic stress as an asset is saying, Hey, what you did in combat has meaning and purpose, and it can make you into a civilian that, in a way that not being in combat can't. In a way that anybody's ex- life experience that they go through brings meaning and purpose to them. Gotcha. Um, one of the um, things I love about the book is even though it's directed towards returning warriors, even as someone, for me, who's never fought, who's never been in the military, I mean, I found a lot of the principles very applicable to my own life. Mm. Have you found civilians like using your book as to help them within some sort of problem, like transitioning from one period of their life to another? I I have actually, and that's been uh, one of a positive validation uh, of of the book is that I, I've had um, a number of people who have gone through different types of emotional trauma uh, have reached out to me and said, "Yeah, you know, this is this is really good. This makes sense to me," um, and. The, the, my intention actually was to be able to, to offer something that could connect the veteran's experience to a civilian's own experience so that you could, you know, you could read it and say, yeah, that, that I've been through something like that, you know, whether, whatever it is, um, 
you know, coming back from something, whether it was, was traumatic or beautiful or, or, uh, that, that impacted you powerfully, um, in a way that's enduring for the rest of your life. And, uh, and then being able to kind of draw meaning and purpose from that. Well, yeah, I definitely, I definitely wanted to, to offer something and share something that, that civilians could read and, and feel an emotional connection with and say, oh yeah, I get it now. Um, I get what it's like because I don't, like I said, I think that part of this, um, the danger and of returning veterans is that emotional distancing of the civilian world that comes from thank you for your service is also sort of like, yeah, but we don't want to get too close to you. You know, we want, we, we, we want to make sure that you're happy because we don't want you to be pissed off. But when you come back from war, now you're pissed off and broken and disordered. And now you're messed up and we don't know if we can trust you with normal stuff. We don't know if we can trust you with normal, you know, normal life. Um, well, I, I, I think that I think you can. And I think that, again, as a, as a combat veteran, my, my life choices aren't any better or worse than anybody else's choices. And I don't think, I don't think I'm a, a better or worse person, just a different person. Um, and my life experience is different than, than the norm of civilian, civilian life. Um, but we're all different, right? Yeah. Uh, especially, especially in America, our, our, you know, our culture is so powerfully and, and beautifully individualistic, uh, that, that being able to understand each of our own individuality, um, just helps us connect, helps us connect with other warriors, uh, and other civilians. So David, where can people learn more about your work and the book? Um, my website is danello.com and the books are available. Uh, the returns available, uh, on blackirishbooks.com is the best way to purchase it. You'll get the best deal there. Uh, but I've, uh, I've written a couple of books, uh, other books as well. And all of my work is available on amazon.com. Awesome. Well, David Danello, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Brett. And congratulations on your work as well. Thank you. Our guest today was David Danello. He's the author of The Return, A Field Manual for Life After Combat. You can find that on Amazon.com. Go pick it up. It's, it's a quick read, but it's really impactful, the, the things he writes in there. Check it out. You can find more about David's work at Danello.com. That's D-A-N-E-L-O.com. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy this podcast and feel like you're getting something out of it, please, please, please give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, whatever it is you use to listen to your podcast. It'll help get the word out. Also, share us with a friend. That'd be the best compliment you can give me if you uh, would share the podcast and tell them that your friends to check it out. Anyways, until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Stay manly.